Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. AgriPod is brought to you by Smart Nutrition Map plus MST. Soil is your most powerful machine. On today's episode, Agriculture in the Classroom has revealed its new kid-friendly website that brings the story of agriculture in Saskatchewan to life. The site was designed for grades four to six students and will show them the past and present of agriculture in the province through highly interactive bits of information. Executive Director Sarah Shimko says the website is informative and engaging with its colorful illustrations and real-life photos, which give students a visual perspective on farming. There's also quizzes and teacher lessons provided. Sarah will share how the website came to be and plans for the future. The most valuable resource for any business is its people, and agriculture is no exception. Human capital remains essential in ensuring the continued production of high-quality food, fiber, and fuel. The entire food value chain relies on people to fill planting, production, quality control, processing, and distribution roles to keep the agri-food system viable. The Canadian Agricultural Human Resource Council identified the main areas of concern within the industry as part of its recent report, Understanding the Effects of COVID-19 on Canada's Agriculture Workforce. Council Chair Sir Couturier will share the findings from the research and the key recommendations. After the break, Sarah Shimko. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Sarah Shimko is the chair of Agriculture in the Classroom. A new website for elementary students to talk about agriculture. So what was uh, behind the reasoning to get this website launched? Uh, Well, the pandemic was a a good catalyst to um, go ahead with creating this website. We had the idea for a number of years, actually. Um, There was a website that a teacher had developed many years ago that was very kid-friendly, but of course it was out of date. And recognizing that there were many students um, learning from at home this year, Uh, we thought that this would be a good opportunity to put some resources into developing a website specifically for students. So who was this uh, targeted for specifically? Uh, Primarily grades four to six students, um, although it could be a little bit younger, a little bit older, depending on the grade and the teacher. If we go to the website, uh, how is it structured and what can we find on it? Sure. So the website uh, is actually just phase one is launched right now. And so it really tells the story of the past, evolution, present, and the future of agriculture. So currently we have nine different sections of information um, under the past and present. And it really looks at the European settlers that came to Saskatchewan and how that shaped um, really the foundation of Saskatchewan as well as today in the present, um, you know, what happens with respect to farms and crops and livestock grown. Um, And over the summer months, we are continuing to work on the website. There will be a big First Nations and Métis um, section and information incorporated into this, um, as well as building out uh, teacher lesson plans and other sections. So you mentioned this is the first phase. Uh, what what other work is being done on the website for, for the future? Sure. So we have a few sections that have quizzes for kids. All of the sections will have quizzes in phase two, um, as well as more complex or 
more teacher lesson plans and support materials for the teachers. Um, and currently nothing is under the evolution and the future sections, and that will also be part of phase two. Tell me a little bit about uh, your organization and what role it has been playing in developing curriculum in Saskatchewan, or has it been kind of a hand-in-hand thing? Sure. Well, the Ministry of Education develops curriculum um, and the outcomes and indicators for every subject. And what we do is we really develop resources and programs that support teachers to meet those outcomes with their students. And so across science, social studies, and health, there's many different areas where agriculture has a great fit for students to learn about that, help them learn about soil and plants and healthy food and so many different opportunities. So we work um, very, very closely with teachers in our development of anything. Um, So for this website in particular, I had a group of 10 teachers who provided review at two points um, in the development to make sure that what we were developing was really going to be useful in the classroom. The last thing I would add is even if you aren't in grade four to six, you can probably still learn something from the website. So I would encourage everybody to uh, take a take a peek at it. Sarah, there's been uh, some really exciting announcements uh, coming up with regards to canola crushing in Saskatchewan. Agriculture has always been the lead industry here, but it's really taken a front seat, I would say, uh, more so now maybe than ever before. How important is it to get this information out to to the kiddos that uh, don't have a direct connection to the farm? Well, I think it's incredibly important because, first of all, everybody eats. So knowing where your food comes from and how it's grown is really important. But as you said, um, agriculture is a major driver in our Saskatchewan economy here. And we need, you know, bright young people to consider careers in agriculture. And we want them to know what a dynamic, exciting industry this is. And that really starts when kids are young, when they learn about it and throughout their years, um, you know, learning different aspects of agriculture and being excited about it. So when they graduate grade 12, they will consider a career in it. Sarah Shimko is the chair of Agriculture in the Classroom, Saskatchewan. We're here to talk about an exciting new product from Nutrien, Smart Nutrition Map plus MST. And joining me today to talk about it is Nutrien Senior Agronomist, Dr. Alan Blaylock. Alan, tell us about Smart Nutrition Map plus MST and how it's different from traditional forms of map. Our conventional map, map meaning monoammonium phosphate, is simply a phosphorus fertilizer with some nitrogen, that's manufactured in a number of places in North America. The difference with the SMART MAP plus MST is the monoammonium phosphate, the MAP granule, is infused with a micronized sulfur material. And so that creates a homogenous granule containing both phosphate and sulfur that gives us the advantage of eliminating segregation and some of those common problems we have with blending. So I guess it's important to emphasize that it is different from a traditional form of sulfur? Yes. So there are multiple forms of sulfur that the farmer can use. One of the most common is ammonium sulfate. It's immediately available. All the sulfur is in the sulfate form, which is good from plant availability, but that sulfate is leachable. If we have excess moisture, it's going to behave in the soil much like nitrate. Then another common form is the elemental sulfur in a clay matrix, the 
90%, sulfurs that are a straight elemental sulfur. The sulfur is bound in a matrix with a bentonite clay, which on contact with moisture swells and allows that granule to fall apart. So one being ammonium sulfate being immediately soluble, immediately available. The other being 100% elemental sulfur, meaning that sulfur has to oxidize. It's not immediately available. It has to convert to the sulfate form in the soil. So the difference with our smart mapless MST is that sulfur that's infused into that map granule is in a, an extremely fine particle size, average size being roughly 15 microns. That means it's going to become available much faster than some of the traditional elemental sulfur products. Growers will want to know what the key benefits are from a crop production standpoint. What do you tell them? Well, one of the key benefits, particularly versus ammonium sulfate, is the safety aspect. Because ammonium sulfate has a fairly high salt index. We're limited uh, in how much we can apply in the seed grow. We really can only use small amounts of ammonium sulfate in the seed grow, where the MAP MST is going to be similar to our phosphate, uh, even slightly lower salt index than our conventional MAP. And the sulfur component being uh, a very finely ground elemental sulfur doesn't have any salt index because it's not soluble. So that means greater seed safety than some of the other, than the conventional ammonium sulfate fertilizers while having the convenience of having everything in one granule and still being readily available. Nutrien has conducted research on this product. What have your trials shown in terms of the crops that have responded the best? So in Western Canada, we've looked primarily at canola uh, because canola has a, a quite high sulfur requirement. Sulfur nutrition is very important. Wheat being a, a bit less responsive. And uh, what I've been told a lot of areas of Western Canada, the, the wheat is not particularly responsive to sulfur. Wheat does need sulfur, obviously, but many of the soils are providing we focused our research on canola. We've obviously done research in the U.S. as well. We've looked at corn and soybeans and, and wheat, and we have other studies going on with a variety of other crops as well. Uh, but for the Canadian market, we really focus on the canola. For uh, many canola growers, the, probably the best way to use it would be to use a little bit of ammonium sulfate with it. We're still looking at different uh, blends to try to optimize the appropriate blends for both phosphorus rate and sulfur rate. And because of the cool soils and the early sulfur demand of canola in Canada, we're getting great results with about a 75-25 ratio of the MAP MST sulfur to the ammonium sulfate. And that's working really well. Alan, how does this compare to a more traditional blend of fertilizer? Well, in a traditional blend, we have all these different components that we're trying to put together, and certainly we can customize that to to whatever the crop needs, and, and that's, that's certainly what, what we're trying to do is supply what the crop needs. The difference being with the MAP MST is we have nitrogen, phosphorus, and sulfur all in a homogenous granule, so they're all delivered together. And particularly, uh, again, as I said, for seed grow placement, that's a convenient way to put all of those nutrients in the seed grow. And obviously, they're going to supplement with some other 
nitrogen form to, to get the nitrogen they need because it's not primarily a nitrogen fertilizer. It's a phosphorus and sulfur fertilizer, and they're in a, a ratio that seems to be, um, for most cases, a good match for canola needs. Finally, where can growers find out more about this product? Well, they can certainly go to our website, Smart Nutrition website, uh, and learn all about uh, some of the technical aspects of the product and, and see some of the research displayed there. They can also contact their local retailer, particularly our Nutrient Ag Solutions dealers. Virtually all of them will have access to the product, and many of them have it. So those are a couple of places they can find out about it. They could also, if they're working with a consultant, have their consultant get in touch with us if if he's not aware of it. But they can start with the website. That's a great place to start. Thanks for this, Alan. Nice visiting with you. Dr. Alan Blaylock is a senior agronomist with Nutrien. After the break, Sir Couturier, chair of the Canadian Agriculture Human Resource Council, will be with us to talk about how the pandemic has affected the availability of agriculture labour. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Sir Couturier is the chair of the Canadian Agriculture Human Resource Council. Sir, uh, COVID-19 certainly had an impact on many sectors. Uh, farmers are no exception, particularly how they were impacted as far as the availability of labor. So let's talk about this research that was done, why it was done, and who took the lead on it. Well, Canadian, the research was done because uh, farmers were essentially having uh, issues securing labor, uh, ongoing issues securing labor for planting, harvesting, and all those sorts of things. Uh, you made, and the research was done by the Canadian Agricultural Human Resource Council, uh, and we look into labor issues uh, for primary producers and farmers across the country, so in all commodities. Why is it important to understand the issues and how they impact farmers? Well, the, the report is complete. If you had a, if you were able to get the final report, uh, what you would find is that uh, that there's a perennial problem of uh, labor uh, on farms um, for farmers in a variety of commodities. And this particular study was to look at the. Um, that we did in collaboration with the, uh, oh, I can't remember anyway, we hired a consultant to look at Statistics Canada and validate all the numbers. But we were able to survey farmers, uh, something like 750 farmers from across the country in all provinces and some territories uh, in uh, about a dozen um, different commodities, including the animal, the crops, and and uh, the, the non uh, non crops and non animals, and uh, we get representation from every province, as I said. And it's important to understand where the shortages are um, and how they might be able to be resolved. Two point eight billion dollars in lost sales uh, because of the labor shortages. So, ex- just explain where those losses were reported in one sec. What sectors of agriculture were affected the most? Yeah, there's a variety of things. But so what, what we what we looked at basically was the vacancy rates due to COVID-19 uh, in relation to the total labor demand for planting, harvesting, 
an all on-farm production sort of activity. Um, and uh, what we found is that the vacancy rate uh, was augmented. It's normally around 7% uh, per year um, from available sort of sources versus other sort of sources. And uh, so it was 10.4% across Canada. Or sorry, 11.7% across Canada. And a little bit less in some provinces, a little bit more in others. So um, basically what we found is that, and there was a perennial problem of, of shortage, of course, with uh, uh, you know, short-term temporary foreign worker or, or soft program uh, applicants. But what we found in the last five years is that there's uh, also a, a, an issue with uh, having Canadians, for example, uh, work on farms. So from the urban to the rural areas has been an issue. And where we really found uh, there to be a problem during the COVID was in uh, in terms of uh, um, new hires um, and uh, some farmers had to reduce production hours uh, that, you know, in the press release, you would have seen one farmer alone early on in the season wasn't able to plant uh, and harvest his uh, his asparagus. So that one farmer lost $700,000. And when you add it all up to all the various farmers um, in terms of on-farm production activities, uh, it comes up to $2.9 billion. Now, they probably would have lost... Uh, that amount anyway, um, even in a normal year. But uh, this was over and above, uh, over and above um, what they would have, the farmers would have lost in a normal year uh, without COVID. So it means that the, the overall losses are, are quite extensive for 2020. Sierra, I'd like you to talk about, though, the, the specific sectors that were affected the most. I know that you mentioned asparagus, but uh, I'm assuming then intensive labor operations, things like uh, vegetable production were probably hard hit? Vegetables, vegetables, steel fruits and vegetables. Um, we had a lot of respondents, so there would have been some losses there. But the greatest losses, I think, were actually uh, in... Um, in the um, in the animal sector, for example, uh, animal production sector, so uh, beef, uh, uh, pork, uh, poultry, uh, that's where the greatest losses uh, would have been achieved, and uh, and um, and and lot less losses in the uh, well, not lot less, but some losses in field fruit and vegetables and field crops, but. Overall, that is for Canada, uh, and and actually, where the the largest gains were <laughs> in terms of uh, increases in GDP were in the cannabis producers. So no losses there. <laughs> <laughs> you did touch on this briefly. I just want to go back to uh, some of the information about uh, the number of Canadians working on farms and those lowered numbers. Yep. Um, obviously, that's a concern. What did the research point to as the reasons behind why there are fewer Canadian job applicants? Well, I think some of the seasonal seasonality aspects um, is, uh, is apparent in that. So um, in some cases, uh, 
you know, the, the season when they require labor, and, and there are long hours, you know, if it's harvesting or planting uh, on-farm kind of stuff, it can be 10, 12 hours a day, seven days a week, for example. And uh, so that's a bit of a, um, a, a dissuasion, I guess, um, uh, to especially young Canadians uh, who don't live in rural areas, right? So you have to attract them from, uh, from urban, more urban areas, and you know, 35% of Canada or a little bit less is where agriculture occurs is in, in, in rural areas of the country. So tracking them there is, is uh, to work long and heavy weeks, even if it's, you know, using very skilled labor on machinery and so on. Um, there's a bit of that, uh, although you, you're well compensated for it. I mean, the, the rates of pay are anywhere from roughly 15 to $30 an hour. Um, and, and, you know, with lots of overtime and all that kind of stuff. But I think the seasonality of it is, is part of it. Um, but realizing that, uh, and also a lot of, uh, well, let's say Canadians are just don't have the skill to work, uh, in the field and, um, so to speak, right. Or on the farm. And, uh, so there's a lot of training that has to go on. And, uh, it, I guess it's, it just takes time to attract them, and the rural lifestyle, I guess, is another reason. So, the seasonality, um, what has to be done, really, is encourage uh, younger folks to realize that there are opportunities. Uh, it's not going to be like that 12 hours a day, seven days a week for six weeks in a row. Uh, it, that, you know, that varies by commodity, and that varies by... by uh, yeah, by commodity and, and by, by crop. And um, and so it's not going to be like that all the time. And if you really wanted to make a career in it the, on the farm, uh, I mean, you could easily find eight or nine months of the work um, on farm, not continuously like that, but uh, operating machinery, getting paid more money and all that kind of stuff uh, for on-farm jobs. And... Uh, and it would just vary seasonally. Uh, you might go from one one type of crop to another, for example, if you were a farm worker. Um, and some might decide to stay and then just uh, be well groomed uh, by the owner, uh, farm owner, for example, and and get involved in other other types of operations on the farm, and you know get six, eight, nine months out of it. So, and and earn a decent income. So. You know, it, it goes with both with, uh, and one of the other constraints, of course, with uh, attracting Canadians to rural areas, is that uh, we noticed that you know there's a glaring gap in in infrastructure, so high high speed broadband, cell, all that kind of stuff. That's a deterrent for people, for Canadians that don't have access to that, you know, on a daily basis, so to speak. So, so there's a lot of deterrents like that. Now, of course. We've made all of this information known to uh, to our colleagues at the Canadian Federation of Agriculture and other farm organization groups across the country. So they have the findings. They will advocate for policies that uh, that will bring farmers closer to the urban areas, I guess, so to speak, with the infrastructure. And there are infrastructure programs uh, announced by the government every three or four years. Uh, and broadband is one of those things that uh, really has to get out there in the rural areas of the, of the country. I mean, farmers need sell and they need uh, 
broadband in order to even do their businesses. You know, we were talking about smart agriculture nowadays. You know, all those machines operate on uh, uh, GPS and, and computers and cell. And uh, to be able to plant your farm, be more sustainable, and uh, maybe become more efficient, I guess. And um, and if you don't have that infrastructure, you're not able to do to do that sort of work, right? So, so all of these things are all connected. So, in terms of uh, having labor on your farm, for example. You mentioned uh, that you have shared this information with uh, various organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the next step, though? Uh, you go through the trouble of creating this, um, getting mm-hmm. this information together, the research, you're sharing mm-hmm. it, but the problem still remains. So what's the next step in seeing that some of these issues are addressed? So so now we, we have sort of in the report, there's sort of uh, the impacts of COVID on, on the... Uh, on the economy, on agriculture, right? And labor labor shortages and uh, that sort of stuff. When implementing plans for the future, uh, farmers should have a clear, or even this year, because we're still in the pandemic, a better sense of how to deal with their labor shortages. So that shouldn't happen. But in the longer term, uh, there are perennial labor shortages. So what we've uh, suggested to, to government and, and the, the, the other groups of uh, the provincial ag uh, groups has also suggested to government, uh, provincially and federally, is that we need to look at uh, longer-term strategies to fill the labor needs for Canadian agriculture. And that those will involve things like uh, more pathways to permanency for uh, for foreign workers. But the longer term will be to to recruit more urban Canadians uh, and, and young people uh, into farming uh, on the farm, uh, get them the skills they need, and show them how exciting it can be to produce food for Canadians and others. And uh, and then um, also um, and then find efficiencies on the farm as well. It's not every farmer that uh, can afford to uh, buy, uh, you know, half a billion dollar combine or whatever, uh, and and become more efficient environmentally and as well as uh, economically efficient. So for the small-scale farmers, uh, we'll have to find solutions uh, for them, right? So uh, it's not one-size-fits-all for everybody, and I think that's uh, that's the bottom line. So everybody is sort of advocating now that we need a short, medium, and long-term uh, solutions to the labor issue because, um, well, I, I, I don't know if you, you looked at the study, that we finished, uh, that CARC finished, uh, well, just a little over a year ago. And uh, that one showed that there's, a, like I said, a perennial problem with uh, the labor shortage uh, for farms in all commodities across the country, whether they're on land or at sea in aquaculture, and that uh, lost opportunities are going to continue regardless of COVID or not. So we have to find solutions for the long term. Any final thoughts, Sir? No, well, I just wanted to thank you very much for taking the time to uh, try and inquire a little bit about the agri-workforce issues and agriculture issues, uh, and I guess that's what you do, and uh, (laughs) and, uh, in this show. 
Sir Couturier is the chair of the Canadian Agriculture Human Resource Council. It's time for the weekly Agriculture News Roundup for the week of April 26, 2021. Parliament passed back-to-work legislation for striking dock workers at the Port of Montreal. The minority Liberal government, with the support of the Conservatives, passed the bill by a margin of 255 to 61. Bloc Québécois, NDP and Green MPs, along with three Liberals, voted against it. Another canola-crushing facility will be built in Regina. Viterra said it is in the feasibility stage to finalize their plant's capabilities and design with an initial targeted annual crush capacity of 2.5 million metric tons, which would make it the world's largest integrated canola crush facility. The plant is targeted to be operational in late 2024. Cargill Canada recently announced it would build a canola crush plant in Regina, while Richardson said it would double the capacity of its canola processing facility in Yorkton. Statistics Canada is forecasting a large increase in barley area, a modest rise in canola acreage, but less wheat, peas and oats this year. The biggest percentage change from last year is barley, up 13.9% to 8.6 million acres on a national basis. Canola area is also higher, but not as much as crushers would like. Stascan projects national canola area at 21.53 million acres, up 3.6% from last year. The numbers come from a March survey of 11,500 Canadian farmers. Saskatchewan's General Farm Group called for creation of a new grain export sales reporting program. APAS President Todd Lewis said the request is part of a recent submission to the federal consultation process on the Canada Grain Act. He said farmers appreciate the work of the Grain Commission, but it's time for an overhaul. The Canada Grain Act review consultation was conducted from January to April. COVID-19 vaccination clinics opened at two of Canada's largest beef packing plants in southern Alberta. Both the Cargill plant near High River and the GBS Canada facility in Brooks were hit hard by outbreaks last year. The two plants together normally process about 70% of Canada's beef. The Western Canadian wheat growers are putting their support behind the proposed merger of Canadian National Railway and Kansas City Southern Class 1 rail lines. Chair Daryl Fransu said Canadian companies that import or export materials or finished goods will all benefit from an expanded market and secure transportation link. He said grain companies and end users will be able to take full advantage of the Canada-United States-Mexico agreement and will ensure that Canadian grain can be moved to all international markets. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarlane for more weekly episodes. AgriPod was brought to you by Smart Nutrition Map Plus MST. Soil is your most powerful machine. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.